Good morning, everyone. My name is Alex, and I'm the lead pastor here at Court Red. I want to welcome you to our online service today. And as you can see, we are in a different location in the church building to record this service. We are in the sanctuary, and it's been a while. We, we were using a room that some of you know as the room where prayer ministry happens, and it had more of a studio feel, more of an intimate feel. And this is bigger and it's lonelier to tell you the truth. There's, there's all these chairs and there's no one here. Justin was here a minute ago, but Justin's gone now. So I'm, I'm sadder than I was last week. But, but I'm not that sad because the reason we're here in this room is because we need to adjust to what's coming, which is we will be back in this room and we will be together in one form or another before too long, we trust, and so we need to experiment with lighting, with sound, with uh, the various technologies that allow us to do this. So, so that's why we're here. And um, my sadness is tempered by the knowledge that we will be together again before long. Praise the Lord for that. So today we're continuing our series in Ephesians. Last week, we saw how Paul covered uh, the basics of the Christian faith. He gave us this incredible summary of what it means to be a Christian, looking at sin, salvation, and sanctification. And this week, we're going to explore more about that last point, sanctification, the path that we are sent out on as followers of Jesus, what we are set aside for, our purpose, our mission. And it's something pretty amazing. So let's pray before we open our Bibles and find out what that is. Holy Spirit, would you come and hover over us as your church? Cover us with your wings. Give us your blessing. Nurture us. Take the chaos of our lives and shape us. Reform us according to your word. Show us Jesus this morning in all his grace and truth. We ask in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So if you don't have a Bible open in front of you uh, or a screen with the second chapter of Ephesians on it, I'd encourage you to, to go and grab a Bible now uh, or to pull it up on a screen because we're going to be reading Ephesians 2 verses 11 to 22. And I'm going to be reading this from the New Living Translation, which is a little bit different from the version we normally use, but um, I think it's really good, uh, its translation of, of this passage that we're looking at this morning. So, so the Apostle Paul is writing to the Christians in and around the city of Ephesus. And we start at verse 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. And here Paul, for the first time, is addressing a group within the church. He's talking to the Gentiles. And if you don't know, Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. So basically the Jews saw the world divided up into themselves, the Jewish people, and everyone else was a Gentile. Paul continues, you were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. So circumcision was a mark of God's special relationship with the Jewish people, and all boys at a certain age were circumcised, and it was a sign of the covenant God had with his people. And I'm not going to talk about circumcision today. I've got enough to worry about. So if you want to, you can Google that. Paul continues, in those days, you were living apart from Christ. As Gentiles, you were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. 
but now you have been united with Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body, on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Christ did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. So the wall of hostility that Paul's talking about there is is, uh, a spiritual wall, but it was also a literal wall in the temple in Jerusalem that separated Jews and Gentiles. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Paul continues, Christ made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from those two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Any of you remember the Disney movie High School Musical? It came out, I don't know, uh, more than 10 years ago for sure. And my kids loved it. In fact, I think I have the words, the music from that movie so deeply embedded within me that it's alarming. And, and one of the songs came to me, maybe one of my kids was singing it, uh, but it, it came to me this week. And so let me tell you a bit about it before I get into that. High School Musical is the story of Troy, a star basketball player who secretly loves to sing. He's embarrassed about that. He doesn't want to let his his jock friends, who are all athletes, know about his passion for musical theater. I mean, who wouldn't be embarrassed about that? No, I shouldn't say that. I'll get in trouble with my family. A new girl comes to his high school that September. Gabriella is her name, and she's a math and science whiz, and she also has this secret that she loves to sing, and, and she's trying to break out of her clique of overachieving friends. One of the songs in the musical is entitled Stick to the Status Quo. And the chorus goes like this. It's better by far to keep things as they are. Don't mess with the flow. No, no. Stick to the status quo. My family literally begged me not to sing that. So I I just had to get that slightly musical no, no in there for because I I think maybe I have a a dream, uh, a hope. Anyway, Troy and Gabriella fall in love and they're predestined to be together. That's, That's my language, not in the movie. And so it turns out that they have done the opposite of what that song suggested. They mess with the flow. They break out of the narrow confines of the identity they've been given by the groups in high school. They break free of the status quo and they become the stars of, you'll never guess what, 
the high school musical. Yes, that's true. That's how it ends. But I think in our world, we don't necessarily expect that kind of happy ending. We expect an ongoing status quo of division and suspicion, because we see that all the time. We see conflict around us, whether it's at high schools, workplaces, families, marriages, or in the political sphere out there in our wider society. And we've seen a lot of that lately with the ugliness of racism. The Bible says that all of our brokenness is due to an ultimate problem that is deep within us. And that is that we're alienated from God. And until we get right with God, there will be no peace. So there are three parts to this passage. Paul talks about our past. He starts off with remember, remember these things. And then he gets into our present. And finally, he will look ahead to the future, the, what we are and are becoming more and more. So he says, in the past, you were separated from God, but now you're at peace with him and with one another. And he's speaking to Gentiles here. And then in the future, we are being recreated as his people. He makes family out of us, this new society that's built up together in Christ. And that's what we call the church. So you've got past separation, you've got peace now, and then we get this vision of what's happening and what will happen as we are built up together in him. As Christians, we are not supposed to stick to the status quo. We are called to bring down walls that keep people apart, and we do that in Jesus. Paul starts with the bad news, though. He reminds us where we've come from. He addresses division in the church. For the church in the city of Ephesus, the conflict was ethnic. It was between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Ephesus was one of the biggest, wealthiest cities in the Roman Empire. 300,000 people, 300, people lived there, and 10% of its population was Jewish. It was this really multicultural city, a lot like Toronto. But even in the church in Ephesus where things were supposed to be different, Jews and Gentiles, it would appear, couldn't get along. And the problem was racism. And so Paul points to Jesus as the way to peace. And we have to ask, especially with the complexity of everything we see going on, can it really be that simple? These days, we're asking ourselves in a new way, with a new intensity, a greater urgency, how could racism end? Sometimes you hear people saying that, that the best way to get rid of racism is through education, and, and that's true. We definitely need more education. And I think it's a sign of hope right now that a lot of people seem to be willing to listen and to learn more than ever, like we haven't seen in the past. But, but Paul points most of all in this passage to a deeper root. He says that racism, like all our broken relationships, is a problem of the heart. He says, in our sin, we turn away from God and we look down on other people. We, we find uh, a, a pride that makes us feel superior to others. And Christian faith, the hope of Christian faith, is that we are saved, we are valuable, we are worthwhile only by grace. We saw that last week. Grace alone is at the very core of what it means to be a Christian. When you become a Christian, it's, it's not through any merit of your own. It's not because you're behaving better. It's not a move in a more moral direction. 
It's not like you become nicer, a little kinder. It's so much more than that. In Christ, you are recreated. You are born again. And it's only by grace, not by anything you've done. And so pride is the ultimate issue that keeps us apart from God. You can think about whatever your identity is, your group, your family, the person you are. How would you describe yourself? What distinguishes you? What are you most proud of? The Bible says that when we start to put all of those things at the center of our identity, it leads inevitably to self-righteousness. And that is a contributing factor in all the problems we see in our lives and around the world. So how do we get away from that? Well, Paul says that through Jesus, God is inviting us together into a practice of reflection, confession, and repentance. And and that's throughout this letter he's written to the Ephesians, not in this passage so much. And that's not just what we do as a church. You know, some of us know that that part of what we do every Sunday is pray a prayer of confession. But rather, that's who we are. We are a people who are turning back to God over and over and over, who are realizing how we have wandered. And so together we're committed to re-examining and reforming ourselves within a loving community that is the church on the foundation of God's word by turning away from self-righteousness and by pursuing peace. But it's a really good thing that we don't have to make that peace ourselves. It doesn't depend on us. Paul says that we have peace right now. Look at verse 14. For he himself, that's Jesus Paul's talking about, Jesus is our peace, who has made Jews and Gentiles one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. It would be easy to rush ahead into peace, right? We want the good news. We want to get there. And that word peace is repeated three times in these few verses. But first, we have to deal with that arresting and compelling image of a dividing wall of hostility. There's a crazy scene in one of my favorite movies, the great war film Saving Private Ryan, where a group of American war soldiers, it's World War II, and they are on a mission and they've stopped to rest in this bombed out building And someone leans on the wall and it collapses. And once it's collapsed, on the other side of the wall, you see there are a whole bunch of German soldiers. And all of a sudden, the dividing wall is literally gone and everyone's in shock for a moment. And then they point their guns at each other and they start to yell at each other with this intensity that is remarkable and they're yelling things like put down your gun surrender and they're just screaming at each other it's this moment of hostility and the suspense is incredible and then everyone starts shooting and the, obviously that goes badly and and so i think the walls in our lives keep us from being in conflict, right? That's part of the purpose a wall serves. A wall keeps us separated from other people. Walls keep us safe. But I want to go a little deeper into the hostility that divides us. I want to talk about racism a little this morning. These days, I'm aware most of all about how much I have to learn. So I'm turning to a black poet by the name of Langston Hughes, who died back in 1967. 
Hughes was a leader of what's known as the Harlem Renaissance. And this poem I'm going to read is named after the part of New York City where he lived, along with many other African-Americans. It's called Harlem. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load or does it explode? It's a short, powerful poem and the words are deceptively simple. They're about everyday things. The author asks questions that that seem pretty innocent in a way, but you can feel the rage beneath the surface, can't you? A dream deferred by racial injustice. And so he asks, does the dream dry up? Does it stink? Does it fester or does it explode? So what's the Christian response to the threat of explosion? Well, one thing we know for sure is that it's, it's, not to look away, it's not to look away and pretend that the threat doesn't exist. The response, the answer that we would ultimately have to give has to be, it's Jesus. Jesus, who himself exploded in anger and drove the money changers out of the temple when they were exploiting the poor. And you know where that happened in the temple? That happened in the part of the temple where in the part of the temple where only gentiles could worship. And so the money changers and all their stalls were there in the way of gentiles worshiping. Keeping the unity of the temple, the ultimate unity of the worship that God desires from emerging even in that early form. Last week, we talked about the wrath of God. We know that God's anger burns at injustice. It burns at the divisions he sees in the world. And he traces it back to every human heart. He comes to break down the dividing wall, which was a real wall in the temple that separated Jews from Gentiles, as I've said. Because only Jews could go into the inner courts. They were the chosen people. But Jesus comes and blows that apart. God always wanted the temple to be a house of prayer for all the nations. And so Jesus fulfills that. Jesus carries out God's purpose and he brings peace for everyone, not just for the Jewish people. He takes the wrath of God on himself so that all sin can be forgiven, so that all can draw near to God by grace, not through a system of law and sacrifice as was practiced at the temple, this is only possible by the blood of Christ, by Jesus going to the cross to bear the consequences for our sin. And so the dream deferred that Langston Hughes' poem talks about is a heavy load, as the poem suggests at one point. But Jesus says, you don't have to carry that load anymore. He meets all of us in our longing, our disappointment, our boredom, our suffering, but especially he seeks out the one who is lost, the one who is missing. 
and he creates this new and living way to God. And then he recreates each one of us by the power of his spirit. So this new humanity Paul refers to is born, where there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, we read in Galatians. And God established that peace, and then he sends us out to tear down every other dividing wall of hostility. How can we possibly do that when it comes to racism? And and let's start with racism in our own backyard here in Guelph. It's a big question, and we're not going to be able to answer it today. But, but one thing's for sure, we need to listen and we need to understand more. And one way you can do that, a next step that, that we're providing is by getting in touch with Allison. You heard this at the start of the service. If you want to learn more about this new group that is emerging and the details will, will be clear uh, in the next few days, next week or so, we hope. So Jesus establishes the peace and then he calls us to be peacemakers. Once that dividing wall of hostility comes down, we can't stay where we are. Um, As Justin and Allison were studying this passage this week, uh, we came up with this this image of the wall coming down. Think of the Berlin Wall, if, if you remember the Cold War ending. Or think of any wall that's a bad wall coming down and people just staying where they were separated. Think of the wall of this pandemic. We're not going to stay at home once those barriers come down. We're eager to get out there. And so Jesus calls us to pursue peace and reconciliation, and it's clear that that will only happen if we're willing to move into an uncomfortable space. So how are you doing that? It's a tough question, and I think it's important to not let it overwhelm us. We, we had a, a, a young man join us in our neighborhood group a few weeks ago, and he was clearly upset about everything that's been happening in the world, and he seemed, to me, seemed a little lost. The whole racism thing was too big for him. It was too much for him, and of course it is, but we are called to be the church, to figure it out together and then to act locally, one day at a time, small steps with the people with whom God has placed us. Every church, and this definitely includes court, right? Every church should be asking, how are we stretching ourselves so that we are becoming more racially and culturally inclusive? And we should be doing that for lots of reasons. One of them is because it's one of the, the primary ways that the world sees God. It started at Pentecost, and it has spread around the world with the Church of Jesus Christ being in every culture, every nation, every race. And it continues today when the Church is acting in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see come next. A vision of the future that we are built up together. Verse 19 begins, and so you're no longer strangers and foreigners. So Paul gives us another reminder. He says, remember where you came from. I think we often like to read ourselves into the Jewish people. We want to think of ourselves as God's chosen people. But the reality is that we're outsiders. Chosen, yes, but by grace. Sinners saved by grace. And then 
the good news comes fast and furious after that little reminder that as Gentiles, we are outsiders. We came from that place. And so we go from being foreigners to being citizens with God's people, citizens of a kingdom that's not of this world. And, and as we approach Canada Day this coming week, let's stop and recognize once again who we really are. With this pandemic, we've been tempted, at least I know I have, to, pe- to, to feel pretty good about being Canadian, even maybe smug about it. We may have some problems up here, but then we look to the United States. And so the dividing wall comes back. But that's not where our true citizenship lies. We can't look down on others to feel better about ourselves, to define ourselves, because we're first of all in Christ, and that identity transcends any national citizenship. And Paul gives us three images for, to help us understand this, this new identity in Christ. One of them is the nation. We've talked about that. Another is the family. And the final one is the temple. He says, through this, he says that we are in Christ. And so we have more in common with people from other cultures, from other families, than we do with our own tribe and our own family. Because the gospel completely changes who we are. This is the ultimate unity for any, any one person, for the human race. We are one in Christ, united to each other. So what does that new humanity look like? Well, Paul saves the best for last. At the end of this passage, he says that we are stones being built into a temple. And that is some serious togetherness, if you think about it. That is a permanent, lasting, cemented unity And it undermines this idea that that I think, I trust this pandemic has been eroding within us, that, that we come to church and then can leave church. But sometimes we, we not only talk that way, but, but I think we assume that that may be a reality. We've realized now more than ever that the church is not a physical building, but rather we are built together as a community. And that means we're always united, not just on Sunday mornings. It means also that there's a promise there that we will not come apart. And we practice this kind of unity by being in relationship together. So I I would ask a few questions coming out of that. Are, Are you keeping your life to yourself? Have you been doing that in recent years? Your struggles, your private matters, your money, your your house itself, where you live? Are you keeping people at a distance? Are are you keeping your relationship with God even as something that's private? If you want to live out who you are as a Christian and grow into the new creation, the new person you are in Christ, you are going to have to share it. You are only going to have the power of the Holy Spirit filling you up to to the degree that you get involved with a Christian community. Now, maybe you're skeptical about church. Maybe you've been hurt by church. Or maybe you've seen it at its worst. Well, in that case, I've got good news for you. It doesn't depend on you or me. If you look at verse 20, you'll see the foundation for what we're talking about is the apostles and the prophets that were built on the promises in God's word, not on our own effort. And then look at the cornerstone in that same verse. It's Jesus Christ who holds it together. So the church we're being built into doesn't depend on our experience of it 
or our feelings about it because God and God alone is the one who puts it together. So my hope and prayer for you and for all of us at Courtright is that God is preparing us for a renewal and a revival of his church during this pandemic, that, that when it ends, we will come out of it with a deeper commitment to each other, a willingness to be accountable, uh, um, a desire to live life deeply together, a deeper level of sharing, a deeper interest in justice, a deeper mutuality and openness. Now, maybe you're thinking that's easy for you to say, Pastor. Maybe you're thinking, I still feel like an outsider. Well, in that case, focus your attention on Jesus through all of those ups and downs. Jesus, who became the ultimate outsider. Jesus, who embraced rejection and alienation like no one else ever has. Jesus, who suffered in a way that we can't imagine. Jesus did it all for you so that you could come home to God, so that you could be part of his family, and so that we could be welcomed into the place where we long to be, into his presence, where he dwells with us in perfect peace, harmony, unity, and love. Thanks be to God who makes all these things possible through Jesus Christ. Amen.